Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me as always are Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How you doing, brother? Shalom, shalom, shalom. Yeah, you know what? I'm once again, man, technical problems this morning. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why, but for some reason, I'm having trouble with my Skype again. And I'm just like, let's see. I'm not recording this uh, visually right now. Uh, and so let me check for updates real quick. Call recorder is current. Hmm. Well, this is very disturbing. I'm sorry, everyone. Welcome to the show. <laughs> nice way to uh, start start the uh, the broadcast. Um, I'm not sure why I'm not getting call recorder here, and that is weird. Hmm. So we're not able to record right now. Our video is not on once again. Hmm. Once again, our video is not on. I guess I'll try to fix this uh, while we talk. Anyway, how's it going, Rob? What's up? It is going well. Yeah. Uh, anything new on the God horizons? Is good. Just had a great family celebration for my dad's seventy-fifth birthday. Nice. It was wonderful. I'll tell you what, Rob. Let's do this. Why don't we do this? Why don't you? Uh, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna hang up on you. Call me back right away. We're gonna stay on the air, but we're gonna try to fix this real quick. Okay. Okay. Go for it. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Pardon me while I uh, try to get our. Oh, look at that. Rob's calling. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if that worked. Uh, Is Caleb there? <laughs> uh, man, everything's going wrong this morning. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I guess people, once again, I'm I'm gonna the people at call recorder are gonna get a nice earful from me, but whatever. Okay, uh, welcome to the show. We're gonna do it without video, I guess, again today, and that is annoying. Um, but hey, what can you do? Uh, we're going to have an interesting day today because we're going to talk about a lot of, and I mean a lot of, very controversial issues. Uh, one of them being speaking in tongues. And I've been avoiding the topic of speaking in tongues for, man, I don't know how long, what, a year and a half now? Uh, and that's been intentional. I've done that intentionally because um, it's just not something, you know, it, people are passionate about it. People are super passionate about it. And so... Um, Oops, that's not what I wanted either. And so um, it's something that I've been avoiding, basically. But you know what? There's a lot of other stuff going on in the world today. Hang on. Let me get back. I want to see what people are uh, talking about here. Oh, hey, look at that. So people are already talking about all the stuff that we're <laughs> in the chat room. They're already talking about all the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to bring up is Jonathan Kahn. Uh, now, I've been very critical of Jonathan Kahn on this show. I think that what he teaches is a, a veiled form of replacement theology uh, in his whole Shemitah year and also his Harbinger books. I think most of the people who listen to this show know my views of Jonathan Kahn. And so, um, they, but, you know, at the same time, at the same time, 
I want to give credit where credit is due. If you don't know who Jonathan Kahn is, Jonathan Kahn has uh, put out a book called The Harbinger. He just put out a new book called uh, The Mystery of the Shemitah Year. Uh, he calls himself a Messianic rabbi. I'm not exactly sure why he would call himself a Messianic rabbi. It seems to me that he is more of a pastor type. But, you know, hey, if you, I, for me, I feel like a lot of people decide that they're just going to use the word rabbi to give themselves a little bit more oomph. I think that happens in the Messianic movement quite a, quite a lot. Seems to. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's, you know, I think that's a little unfortunate because, you know, the people in, in the Jewish religion go to school for sometimes up to eight years just to be able to have uh, the training and uh, to get the title rabbi. Uh, and so what Messianics like to do is just uh, adopt that name. It would be like me saying, oh, I'm going to be Lord Caleb now. Well, I'm not a Lord, <laughs> but, you know, that would be cool if people would start calling me Lord Caleb. Um, anyway, so I, I want to give credit where credit is due. And, and Jonathan Kahn got up and he gave this speech on Capitol Hill uh, in front of some of the members of Congress this past, I don't know, was it was it this past week? Maybe it was two weeks ago. Maybe I'm behind the times. Um, no, no matter when it was, he gave this speech. One of the things that I was I was waiting the whole the whole time to listen to the, in this speech for him to talk about how uh, you know uh, basically insert his insert his uh, his replacement theology views. Uh, he, he I can't say he didn't do that at all, but he it was if he did it, it was very uh, short and uh, he breezed over it. What I really liked about his speech is that uh, he did not pull any punches. He got up in front of Congress and he to- he he told it like you know basically, you know if you're going to turn away from God, guess what? Here's a clip from the very end of his speech. And uh, I wanted to play this. This is actually quite a long clip. It's uh, about two minutes long. Tonight, America stands at the crossroads. And as Elijah came to the summit of Mount Carmel to make a declaration, we've come this night to Capitol Hill to declare that our God is not Baal, our God is not Moloch, our God is not government, our God is not money, our God is not power, not pleasure, our God is not political correctness or any other man-made thing. We've come to this hill to declare that there is only one God, and he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Israel and of all nations. He alone is the rock upon which this nation has come into existence. And from this high place, we make this declaration. We will not bow down our knees to Baal. We will not bow down our knees to political correctness. We will not bow down our knees to a morality that is as shifting as sand in the wind. We will not bow down our knees to the laws and precepts of rebellion or the sacred cows of moral apostasy. We will not bow down our knees to the idols of man. We will not bow down to Baal. We will bow down our knees only to the Lord our God, come what may, and we will have no other gods before him. For some trust in chariots, some trust in princes, some trust in Supreme Courts, some trust in White Houses, some trust in governments, some trust in Wall Street, some trust in power. Okay, I got to stop right there. So to me, you know, he's really hitting it home that uh, you know we don't we don't really care about Congress. You know, this is uh, this is the message I'm getting from him is you know you guys sit up on your towers and you think that you rule this nation. You don't rule this nation. God ultimately is the one in charge of everything. He rules this nation. So the followers of God don't care about what you, you, Congress, who he's, you know, member, he's speaking to members of Congress, 
we don't care what you guys say. What we care about is what God says. That's what I'm getting from this speech. Now, are you getting something else from that speech, from what you're hearing? Does he ever mention Yeshua's name? Oh, yeah. Hang on. Here we go. Oh, okay. Some trust in idols, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God, in the name above all names, above all kings, above all powers. We will trust in the only name given by which we can be saved. We will trust in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the judge of all judges, the light of the world, the glory of Israel, the foundation stone upon which this nation came into existence, and the only answer, the only chance, and the only hope that America has that it might once again shine with the light of the fire of the presence of the glory of the living God and not go to hell. So help us, God. Thank you. And that's the end of his speech. So, um, you know, so this was at this was on like at the in Washington D.C. That's right. right, you know, and this isn't the first time that Khan has spoken in front of Congress uh, or members of com- Congress. He's not speaking, you know, like in uh, official session. Yeah, right, exactly. So. It's not like that. Um, so you know, I I want to give the guy uh, credit where credit is due. You know, a lot of pastors. And we've seen this before. Guys will get up in front of, uh, you know, in front of the president or in front of all sorts of different people and, and say, uh, you know, they'll, they'll dumb everything down. They'll try to make it ecumenical for everyone. Oh, we're here with the Buddhists. We're here with the Muslims. We're here with everybody. It doesn't matter. You know, like we'll try to be uh, good with everyone. What I felt Khan did in this address was he got up and he said, you know what? I don't care. I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell it like it is. I, I appreciate that. Um, okay, so let's move on. A very 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 sad thing. Um, a couple of very sad things. I don't think. Well, yeah, I didn't. Okay, so let's do this first. Uh, Jim Staley. I'm sure most of the people in the Messianic movement know this. If you don't, uh, then well, yeah. Uh, Jim Staley uh, pleaded guilty this week to four counts of wire fraud. Um, basically, he uh, admitted to uh, frauding 11 people out of $5.4 million. Um, what's that? Ugh. Yeah. Um, now, I, originally, Staley said, I didn't know, I didn't do this. I w- wasn't aware that what I was doing was wrong. All these kind of things, Okay. And uh, I want to be very uh, careful with this because, you know, I know people over at Passion for Truth. I've spoken with Jim before. Uh, you know, he seems like a very nice guy, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit, I don't know, miffed about this. Because, you know, originally Jim comes out and he says, oh, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't think I've, done, I don't think I've done anything wrong, all this kind of stuff. And now he pleads guilty to it. And I thought maybe, okay, let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Um, let's say that maybe he, uh, he thought, uh, you know, I'm going to go to prison for 30 years. If I don't plead guilty to this, I'll plead guilty and get the six to eight years. Um, but that's not the way that his lawyer makes it sound. Um, his lawyer makes it sound, hang on just a sec. Let me find this. Uh, this is a very short clip. This is nine seconds long. Listen to what his lawyer says here. And, and this is why I think, no, maybe he just kind of fessed up to it. He knew that he had uh, made a mistake as he told the court this morning that he was ashamed of his conduct and it's not representative of who he is as a man. 
Okay, so he's he was ashamed by what he'd done. He knew he made a mistake. So it sounds to me like he was aware, uh, you know. Wait, yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what's strange is that this guy's been preaching and preaching for years now. Didn't, but now only when he's caught is he ashamed? Only when the court. Well, and, and, and uh, okay, here, let me, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't understand. Like, why is he now ashamed when he wasn't, when he never said that before? I never heard him say that he was ashamed to like his audience or his in his preaching. Well, here's I, I agree with you. Here, here, here we go. Here's uh, this is from uh, the Christianity Today. I think Passion for Truth Ministries, Pastor Jim Staley, forty, who told his St. Charles, Missouri congregation last summer that he didn't realize he had been arrested after a federal grand jury indictment. Uh, indicted him last June for defrauding investors, admitted in federal court Thursday that he cheated his elderly victims out of $3.3 million while making 570000 for himself. Now, once again, this is media, so I'm, you know, I'm not apt to take the media at their word. Um, but it sure, after the lawyer, it sounds like he admits, yeah, I, I cheated these people out of this money. Uh, in a cor- in a courtroom packed with supporters, the St. Louis Post Dispatch reported that Staley, who owed a financial who owned a financial consulting f- uh, f- firm, I think it's supposed to be, pleaded guilty to four counts of wire fraud. Rather than taking his case to trial, he admitted that he cheated sixteen investors. And his uh, defense attorney Scott Rosenblum says his client was ashamed and completely accepted responsibility. The attorney stressed that the crime had nothing to do with his role as a pastor. And I've read this numerous times. This had nothing to do with his role as a pastor. And uh, the reason that he's saying that this had nothing to do with... What? Well, the reason he's saying this had nothing to do with his role as a pastor is because this happened seven years ago. It happens... Oh, I I was a criminal, and then I became a pastor, and, and nobody knew that I was a criminal... Well, and that's kind of the... And so they're not related. That's the, Is that the story? Yeah, that's the problem that I have with uh, th- this whole thing. Is, uh, you know, a, a leader of a community is supposed to be above reproach. If you have done something in your past that has not been resolved, you've cheated somebody or whatnot, and you're thinking about getting into a, police, a place of leadership in a community... Whatever needs to be, whatever that was that needed it's to like be. It's like Zacchaeus, you know, before Yeshua comes to his house, Zacchaeus saying, I'm, I'm a rabbi. <laughs> I'm going to teach everybody Torah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't know. I shouldn't be laughing. I, I, I just don't get it, I guess. That's why I'm laughing. Well, what I don't get is why he says this has nothing to do with him being a pastor. It, it has did, everything to do with it. Has it has everything to do with him being a pastor. It. it was seven years ago. It was before he became a pastor, but he should have made this right. He should so did have... he receive a calling then? Yes, that's what... He, yes. So he was called to be a pastor. So I, I defraud... Here's the picture. I defraud elderly people out of millions of dollars, pocket half a million for myself. You know, no conscience bothering me. And then, I, then all of a sudden I receive a calling to be a pastor. And I'm really passionate for truth. Well... Looks like the truth caught up with him. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, you know, we'll, and you know uh, another the, thing the, is the, the, it's the, probably. 
you know, I would, I would guess, of course, I don't know. I would guess that some of the half a million dollars is what funded. No, I don't, that, that, that I don't know about. I don't want to guess where the money went, but here's the saddest part about this whole thing is that, you know, obviously he has, he has a congregation now that, uh, that is left without their, their main speaker. Uh, I don't think that will be a problem. There's, there's good, there's really good guys over at passion for truth. There is. Um, but, uh, you know, Jim's got a family. He's looking at six to eight years, you know, and uh, he's, you know, he's got kids. I can't imagine what it would be like to try to, uh, you know, to plead guilty to something knowing that I was going to leave my children for six to eight years uh, to, gr- to grow up without me around. That would be devastating to me. Well, what, what's good here, I'll, just to point out something that's good, is that, you know, the system worked this time. He's not, he's not fighting back. He's not saying he didn't do anything wrong. He's saying he did it, and the system caught up with a guy who committed a crime. You know, put, put aside whether he's a pastor or whatever he believes. Mm-hmm. The system, it caught up with, you know, he committed crimes, uh, and the system caught up with him. And I think that's a good thing. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I think that uh, justice always needs to be done. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. So, and it reminds me of someone posted the other day on Facebook about, it was a quote, and it was a bad translation, but it was a quote from Mishnah Avot saying, you know, whoever, if your friends are pleased with you, then God's pleased with you, you know, and if your friends aren't pleased with you, then yeah, God's yeah. not pleased. And I'm like, that's just, that just doesn't work. That's not a good general rule to have. Um, because, you know, people can be in this situation, you know, I I don't know. You know, I hope that, that when Staley's in, in jail, that he'll be able to, you know, that there's good seed of, of God's word in his heart that will bear fruit, you know, and that other people maybe will learn about Yeshua, um, through him being there. I don't know. That's, it's just tough. I agree with you, but uh, the one thing I'm I'm confused on with uh, you know the people who are following him, in terms of you know the people who are in his congregation and whatnot, uh, the idea that this ha- this doesn't reflect on his leadership as a pastor or that um, you know this has nothing to do with him being a pastor. I disagree with that. I think it has everything to do with him being a pastor. If he knew that he had defrauded people. And he knew that he. Why had, did he wait for the state to catch up? He, well, he should. Uh, you know, once again, the apostolic scriptures tell us that a leader should be above reproach. You know, and if you're going to be the leader, you know, if you're going to lead people in their lives and their matters of faith and practice and all these things, you need to go out and get whatever uh, resolved. Uh, you need to get resolved before that happens. Um, and so, to me, that's I, I just that's, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. If I imagine there's elderly people out there that for the last seven years have been talking and their families and their kids have been going, man, that guy scammed us. That guy scammed us. And then they see him out there preaching the word of God. Uh, imagine their perspective Yeah, the whole time. They're like, man, that guy's out there preaching, preaching, and he scammed us out of millions of dollars. Yeah. I, I don't understand... I don't understand how someone could say those are separate. 
uh, what that means is they're not they're not remembering the heart of the people who were the victims here. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on. So uh, one of the other things that happened this week is that uh, One Nineteen Ministries put out this blog post, and and this is what blows my mind. They put out this blog post. Basically saying, and in the blog post, now, I know they took the blog post down, so everybody's, I, okay, let me, I don't even know where to start, because I'm, I, this frustrates me. Um, 119 Ministries puts out this blog post, okay, they basically say that Yeshua is not yod heh vav in their blog post. I take their blog post, I post it on my Facebook page and say, hey, before you, po- before you reshare the, the next flashy picture or video from 119 Ministries, you should read this. Did 119 Ministries really just say, that you sh- did they really just deny the deity of the Messiah? Now, I got tons of interaction on this, okay? Tons of interaction. And people said that I was in the wrong. Because I'm the one who posted it online and said we shouldn't be reposting 119 Ministries stuff. What is going on? How am I the one who's getting attacked for this? Does this make any sense at all? And then, of course, uh, and then of course, what happens is, is 119 Ministries pulls the post. Yeah, they pulled. I, when I went to follow up, because I think you or someone sent me the email, I, I went to the link and it. It had a little paragraph. We pulled the blog post. Yeah. So, um, you know, basically, I, they wrote me an email back, and they said, "Oh, yeah, you know that. Uh, no, we we fully believe that that Yeshua is Yod Heva. Or no, and this is the other thing. They they tiptoed around it. They said we we fully believe that Yeshua is Elohim, and that he's the right arm of Yod Heh now, to me, it sounds like they're still sidestepping the issue. They still wouldn't say Yeshua is yod heh And Andre asks, has anyone archived the blog before it was taken down? As a matter of fact, Andre, I did. I took a screenshot of it, and if you want it, I will send you a picture of it. Um, yes, I can send it to you on Facebook. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let me open it up here. Real quick, now, now people were saying, "Oh no, I don't. They're not denying the deity of the Messiah in this. No, it's no. You got it all wrong. They're they're speaking against modalism. And if you don't know what modalism is, modalism is the belief that Yeshua or Jesus, however you want to say it, uh, is just another mode of of Yod Heh Vav Heh. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm." I'm me. I go out, and when I, uh, you know, when I do my job of being a, a plumber, I—that's the mode I'm in. I'm in the mode of plumber. When I come home, I turn into like the cats. It's like wearing different yeah. hats. Yeah. When I come home, I'm in the mode of being a father. So uh, these things are. Th- this is how uh, modalism explains uh, Yeshua and the Father. It sounds great in the beginning. Trust me. I when I first heard of modalism, I thought, yes, that's exactly what I believe. No, that's not exactly what I believe. In fact, you can't believe that if you believe that Yeshua died on the cross. Uh, because if if Yeshua was just a mode of the Father, and he was fully the Father, and Yeshua was just a mode of him, if he d- truly died on the cross, if he truly died, then the world would cease to exist. That's the problem with modalism. You can't have Yeshua di- truly dying on the cross, 
and the world continuing to exist. If God dies, everything stops. Um, so there, there is problems with modalism. Here's what I affirm. I understand there, this is a huge controversy. We've talked about this on the show before. I affirm that Yeshua is yod heh in the flesh. He is yod He's fully yod heh I also affirm that Yeshua and the Father uh, are separate. I can't explain that. I don't know how it works. All I can tell you is that's what the scriptures tell us. Um, you know, I didn't plan on reading this whole thing, but... Hey, why not? Uh, here we go. So this is what uh, this is. Let me read this for everyone. This is what One Nineteen Ministries put out. We are we were recently asked whether John twenty twenty eight, where Thomas calls Yeshua Lord and God, confirmed that Yeshua is, they say Yahweh, uh, the Most High, because the same Greek word for God is used here as in other places. It is not our understanding that Thomas is calling Yeshua God, as is as in the Most High, Yahweh in this verse. The Greek does use the word theos, but that's because theos is a generic word for any god. The psalm was written in Hebrew, and the psalm, uh, the psalm was written in Hebrew, and the word there is Elohim. Remember, in John ten, Yeshua quotes Psalm eighty-two six, stating, "We are all gods." So this is what they mean by Elohim: that we are all gods, we're all Elohim. Yeshua could certainly be called Elohim because we all are Elohim. Elohim is used in the Old Testament to reference the Most High. People in the, in the verse mentioned and any other gods, quote, We are all Elohim. This is not saying we are all the Most High, the only true God. There is only one God according to Isaiah 44, 8. So when they write back to me and they say, Yeshua is certainly Elohim. <laughs> okay, so that still doesn't answer my question. Is he yod And they have never said that he's yod What they say is, is that he is the right hand of the Father. That he's the right hand of yod So at the very end of their post, they say, this brings us back to the question, does Thomas or John believe Yeshua is the Most High? It does not appear to be the case. It is a possible interpretation, but in light of John 10 and John 1, it seems more likely that Thomas is finally accepting the truth of who Yeshua is, the Son of God, the Living Word. So I'm the one who gets, I mean, you know, I wrote a blog post about this. For, for people in the Messianic movement, if you believe that Yeshua is yod as you should, as the scripture teaches clearly, then this should be fighting words. There should be no, oh, let's give uh, the benefit of the doubt. What 119 Ministries does with this post is they take their vial of poison and they dump it right into the to the water stream and then what i'm supposed to do is wait for them to come back and it reminds me of the remember the copper scroll thing yeah exactly they they said i kept asking them well who's doing the translation work i that's been and they said well you just need to be more patient and i asked them like three or four times i've never heard back from them like who actually did the hebrew i, I finally thought well i guess i need to be patient and wait for them to tell me now they're moving on to other things and they never addressed the issue uh, of my several emails with John or Jim or whoever it is John over there. He's uh, a, look, these guys love the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind they love the Lord. But they are not trained enough, well enough to understand what they're doing. It is so frustrating. We deal with this every single day. You know, the, my phone rings, the email box gets full, and it's all people asking all these questions about, uh, you know... 
I, I, my teacher is telling me that, uh, that, that we shouldn't believe in sola scriptura, that the Bible is the only, is the final authority in matters of practice. Uh, my pastor's telling me, or my, you know, my rabbi, that's the, you know, that's the, the go-to word now. My rabbi's telling me that, uh, Yeshua isn't yod Vavi. He's not divine. He's just a, he's just a representative of God. This is nonsense. And here's the worst part. It's the foundation of our faith. And people are attacking me for calling them out on it. Totally ridiculous. It's vexing to me. Anyway, if anyone wants that, uh, if anyone wants the, the 119 Ministries blog post, I have it. I'm more than willing to share it with anyone who would ever want it. Uh, they wrote it. I have it. You want to see it? Not a problem. Um, let's move on. I, ca- I still can't believe people's nerve. You know, they're going to come out and, and pretty much deny the deity of the Messiah uh, publicly. Oh, you should give them a chance to, to explain what they mean. When I give them a chance to explain what they mean, they say the exact same thing in the blog post. Oh, he's Elohim. He's the right hand of the Father. What? And then he said it wasn't a, a big issue. Not a big issue. It, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If Yeshua is not Yod Hey Vav Hey, he cannot affect salvation. His blood does nothing for us if if he is not Yod Hey Vav Hey. Do people not get this? Yeshua's the only reason Yeshua's blood works for us is because it's eternal, because he were because he is eternal in both directions. It's an infinite sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that only has to be done one time. Infinite. The only way that it could be an infinite sacrifice is if God himself gave his blood. God with us. I'm so upset about this. Let's talk the about... Other, the other thing, you know, where he says, my Lord, where Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Yeah. In, in the Greek, for, for Greek Jews, that's the words of the Shema. Yeah, exactly. That's, and it says, yeah, he's basically... <laughs> In a way, he's he's alluding to the Shema, which is a mystery. Is a mystery. It's the most important text of all the Torah. Yeshua t- tells us. Okay, so I want to talk about. I think for some reason I feel like I didn't get all of the uh, clips that I needed to get. Oh well, that's okay. I'm I'm having all sorts of troubles today with that. Uh, yeah, no video. Caleb, did you say so? Uh, Grace just said you said good gracious. I missed it. <laughs> Haven't heard Caleb say good gracious in a while. Oh, cool. I missed it. Bummer. Can uh, you say it again? Just good <laughs> gracious. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Let's talk about some tongues. This is a this is a very controversial issue. And uh, so before we get started into this topic, well, should we play? It's hard to know where to start with this because you know, people are very passionate about this. One thing that we see in the Messianic movement is that a lot of – that I would say a majority of the Messianic movement comes from the, uh, the, the Pentecostal uh, Church of God belief. You have a lot of people coming out of the Pentecostal movement – Basically, the the Messianic movement was started by some Pentecostals uh, in the seventies, and you know you have you have these people who are um, basically Pentecostals, and there that's what makes up a majority of the 
of the Messianic movement. Uh, so I know that I'm stepping on toes here. I know that there's a lot of people who are going to, uh, their ears are going to perk up when we start talking about this. One of the things I want to say is this. I will not put it past God that he can give someone, that the Holy Spirit can speak through that person and that, there, that, he, can, that he can make a language that uh, is unknown to man. Uh, th- that, okay, God can do that if he wants to. But what the problem I, I have is, is that if that's what you believe speaking in tongues is, Okay. Now, now you have to understand, I think that our audience is clever enough to know that there's two different main ideas on, uh, on, on speaking in tongues. There's the idea that speaking in tongues back in the day was uh, speaking in a known language in the, in the known world. And even though you didn't know that language, you'd never spoken that language before. For instance, all of a sudden I can speak Spanish. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm speaking Spanish and giving the gospel to someone. Uh, That view normally says that the gift of speaking in tongues and that it would be languages, the gift of speaking in languages died or was taken away after the first century into the second century, that that it died out. That's one view. The other view is is that tongues actually talks about a angelic uh, language that only God and the angels know, and that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you speak this language that sounds like gibberish to us, but that it's actually uh, God praying through you to the Father. Okay. Um, I take a different view than both of those. And I don't know what, Rob and I haven't talked about this, so this could get interesting. Um, I take a different view. And the view that I take is this. I take the view that it was known languages in the world at the time, in Acts 2, okay? And what uh, what Paul talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And, but it didn't necessarily die out. I believe that uh, God can give anyone that gift anytime he wants. I believe that that gift is still used in the world. Uh, now, granted, very rarely, but I believe that kind of thing still happens and can happen. That someone can all of a sudden speak a language, the Holy Spirit can enter them and, uh, or use, use them to speak a language that they uh, otherwise don't know. They might not even know what they're saying, but they're actually giving the gospel to people. Okay, that's my view. So I don't believe that it necessarily end that that gift ended in the first century. Okay, uh, let's listen to a clip real quick. This is a clip, and it's in your show notes. I don't remember who it is, uh, but listen, this is a debate though. Okay, uh, between uh, James White and the other guy. I don't know who the other guy is. To be honest with you, I apologize for that. But listen to this clip. Okay, Pastor Bernard, is it your belief that when an individual comes to a genuine saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that tongues is the initial evidence of that saving faith and that that absolutely must occur? Well, we would look at saving faith as a progressive experience, as I said, uh, first of all with repentance and then with water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
And we do believe that, yes, when a person is baptized with the Spirit, he will speak in tongues as an initial uh, sign of that experience. We wouldn't say that, uh, that tongues is a saving experience, but we would say that it's an evidence of what God does. All right. It is your belief that every believer, then, uh, should be speaking in tongues? Well, they should have received the Holy Spirit, and when they receive that Spirit as the initial uh, sign outwardly, they will speak in tongues. Okay. Um, now, I think most of our audience are going to realize where we're going with this. Uh, this is more common than a lot of people. Yes, David K. Bernard is that gentleman's name. Thank you, Adam. Uh, most people uh, might think that that's a rare belief. It's not. I know people. I know several people who their families honestly believe that they're not saved right now because they haven't spoken in tongues, uh, gibberish tongues, and they uh, and so that means to their family that they have not received the Holy Spirit. These people are good, Bible believing. Yeshua, excuse me, Yeshua-centered believers, okay? And their families say, no. Um, so to me, now I know that Bernard right there says, okay, yeah, the uh, speaking in tongues is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not what saves you, but you basically have to but do it. But it's the sign that you've received the Holy Spirit. Yes. Can you be saved without receiving the Holy Spirit? No, you cannot. <laughs> there you go uh no I, I yeah um so this this belief you know there's nowhere in the scripture in fact i would argue that in in first corinthians 13 it says some have the gift of tongues one has the gift of tongues one has the gift of interpretation it to me it seems right there that he's saying not everyone has the gift of tongues you know um, some people, you know, and he, he, all of, all of this whole passage in, in, uh, 13 in first Corinthians 13, Paul's talking about how each, each, uh, member of the body has a different, uh, function. You know, if, if everyone's a nose, you know, Paul basically says, if everyone's a nose, then what good is smelling? Everyone can smell, you know, and you know, if everyone's an ear, they don't have the body there. There's no body. You need all these different pieces. He's obviously said, I mean, to me, it's obvious. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the people in the chat room can can tell me uh, if they believe that. <laughs> I mean, should every single, doesn't, doesn't it seem like in that passage that Paul's saying that every single person has a different, a different uh, uh, a gift and not everyone will have the gift of tongues? What do you think, Rob? I mean, tell me what your I don't know your views on tongues. Did you come out of a Pentecostal background? No, no, I did not come out of Pentecostal background. So you've never you've never uh, spoken in tongues, then? Not to my knowledge. Heretic. I, the the you know one verse that resonates with my experience is what Paul writes in Romans eight twenty six. I'll just read from the ESV. He says, "Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness." For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. But don't you think that the Pentecostals that, are... That's my, that's my experience, is but, that it, you know, but in terms of what I've like heard and, and seen, 
with people like speaking uh, different kind of tongues. I, I don't, where it doesn't seem like it's a human language, you know. Um, for me, it's like, well, I guess if that edifies that person, you know, I, I can't see their heart. But uh, that's just not my experience. I don't think that everybody has to do that or that that is the sole a sole evidence see but the people the people who who uh, are are big on tongues are going to take the verse that you the the passage that you just read and they say yeah exactly we don't know what to speak so that's why the holy spirit comes in and, and takes over for us listen to this lady check this lady out hang on a second let me close some stuff here pardon me while i do some house cleaning on my desktop um listen to this lady this is unbelievable this is from an ABC report. Once again, this is all in your show notes. I've put all sorts of different uh, links in your show notes here. So when you pray and you don't really, it's not really me talking. It's the spirit inside of me communing to God. But like most who speak in tongues, she has no idea what she's saying. It's almost like a baby learning to talk. When you're a baby and you learn to talk, you have certain sounds. So when you first start speaking in the spirit, there's certain sounds that you make and you don't know what they mean. I don't know what it is I'm saying, but if you were to ask me right now to say something in my prayer language, yes, I could pray in it. Do I know what words are going to come out right now? I could say, um, Did that mean anything? It meant something to my spirit, man. It's like there's a certain... Wait, listen, listen, listen to what she says at the very end. Listen to her last, her last word. Something to my spirit, man. <laughs> so I, I don't know what this means. Is she saying, I don't know what this means to, to me, to, to, to listen to it again. Um, did that mean anything? My it meant something to my spirit, man. So it meant something to my spirit. Is it? It meant something to my spirit, comma. Man, <laughs> or like is it? Mon, like a mon. Or, or is it? Or is it? It meant no, it's her spirit man. Or is it her spirit man? Right. She has a spirit man. Yeah, that, like, and that worries me. That's true. Yeah, that's. That, here, I don't know. Here's don't know. here's what's going on. Is that you know what? Like I said at the beginning of of this segment, uh, do I think that God can speak through somebody and could be some uh, secret language? Sure. Sure, I'm not going to limit God like that. Um, but what I see with uh, speaking gibberish and and these kind of things is that this is very much what uh, pagan practice does, trances and whatnot. This is uh, you know, and and so that worries me right there. I'm not saying that the people who are speaking in tongues are demonic or they got spirits in them. I'm just saying that this seems it seems man made to me. And okay, I know I know that I'm hitting hot buttons here because this is this is a very hot topic. Um, I'm gonna let's read a, a quote here. This is from uh, uh, I came somebody sent me a, a paper by a gentleman named Michael Thorburn, and uh, there's once again a link in your show notes if you have your show notes. By the way, you can sign up for show notes, or you can um, you can sign up to receive show notes. Uh, on the Robin Caleb Show page off of Torah Resource. Um, okay, so this is what Michael Thorburn says. He said, I would like to suggest, based on the above dis- discussion, that when Paul refers to various kinds of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12.10, 
that he is not simply saying that there are different earthly languages. Instead, he is saying that the gift of tongues uh, consists of the ability to speak a previously unknown earthly language and the ability to, to speak an unknown language that is of another scope or purpose. Well, first of all, in the 1 Corinthians 12.10 passage, once again, this word glossa is, that's how they said languages. Now, I know that there's an, in just, a, uh, I think the verse after that, um, uh, so I, I know that there's another language used, but it's actually what we use for, uh, it's actually the, the word that we get our, uh, our word, what is it, Rob, help me out here, um, dialect. So there's a word right. that, that is translated languages. It's actually the word that we get our uh, that we get our word dialect from. So it's different dialects. The word for language in Greek is glossa, and glossa also means tongue. That's like in Hebrew, lashon. Lashon is means tongue, but it but it can mean language. Yeah, exactly. So when he the only reason the only reason this is true in Greek is because it was true in Hebrew. In Hebrew, yeah. yeah. So in First Corinthians twelve ten, it when it says uh, that they that they were all speaking in different tongues, you uh, that can just as well be translated. They were all speaking in different languages. Um, you know, Thor, Thorburn glosses over Hebrew versus Aramaic, the Hebrew versus Aramaic argument and assumes. Yeah, his, he, he assumes they're talking Hebrew. And, his, and, and not only that, but temple Hebrew. He, say, he specifically says they were, they were conversing in temple Hebrew. Uh, and, and, and yeah, he, there's a point there in Acts, because in Acts chapter 1, verse 19, it says it, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood. Akeldama is Aramaic. So the people of Jerusalem in their own dialect is the word. Now, it's not closer uh, there. It's dialecto. Um, it gives an Aramaic word. But, but this guy you're quoting, he wants to say that wherever, wherever in Acts where it talks about dialect, that it was Hebrew. Uh, and he, he says the NIV is wrong there. Well, in fact, the NIV is correct. And even the, the <laughs> ESV, the ESV says like the Hebrew, lang- like in Acts 21, it says Paul addressed them in the Hebrew language. They have a footnote. It says, or Hebrew dialect, probably Aramaic. Meaning all the evidence points that it was a form of Aramaic. Um, and that Hebrew and Aramaic were kind of mixed together. It's not... It, it's not what this guy thinks. This guy totally ignores that whole argument. Well, and not only that, but if he if, if the the text actually tells us that Paul addressed them in the in the uh, you know whatever language Hebrew Aramaic, it means that he wasn't already doing so, and it's out of the norm. In other words, they weren't all going around speaking Hebrew or Aramaic all the time. Paul was speaking Greek right. at this point. And here's the thing. Okay, are we ready for a little bit of a? Uh, you ready for a little bit of a rabbit trail, Rob? You know it. <laughs> so yesterday I, I'm researching all this, okay, and uh, I'm trying to. I'm reading. I'm reading Thor, Thorburn. I keep wanting to call him Thornburn. It's actually Thorburn. I was. I'm reading Thorburn's uh, uh, article, and and I'm going through it. And he makes basically he just assumes that he's gonna, he's going to say, well, it wasn't Aramaic. It actually was Hebrew, and the NIV got it wrong. And then after that statement, he just assumes that. All of his readers that are reading this are going to jump on board with him and are going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, 
they were all speaking Hebrew. Thorburn just convinced me by telling me, oh, they weren't actually speaking Aramaic. They, you know, the NIV got it wrong. They were actually speaking Hebrew, Temple Hebrew at that. I don't know if there's a difference between, I don't know what he means by Temple Hebrew. Anyway. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I'm thinking to myself, you know, and, and I hear this argument all the time. You know, we got good friends and good colleagues who believe that Yeshua was conversing in Aramaic all the time or Hebrew and that he was preaching in Aramaic and all this kind of stuff. And it just, you know, it kind of, it's one of those things that I've asked for patience with, you know, it's not, it's an, it's an in-house argument. It's not an argument that we should be, uh, you know, killing people over or anything like that. And, uh, it's, it's just one of those in-house arguments, but it's one of those arguments I hear like every single day and man, is it annoying. And I got to thinking, you know what? I wonder what kind of first century inscriptions we have from Nazareth. So I went on a search and I looked for first century Nazareth inscriptions. What did I come across? The Nazareth inscription. Now, granted, this is from Caesar. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's chiseled into marble. It was found in Nazareth. The reason I wanted to look in Nazareth is because I'm thinking, okay, she was growing up in Nazareth. Okay. Um, we have to think that his disciples were, we know that his disciples were from different regions. Okay. They, now whether they were all speaking Aramaic or Hebrew, uh, we know that the different regions had different accents and, and things like that. Um, and, but we, even then we don't know. Okay. Anyway. So I, I start looking at the Nazareth inscription. The Nazareth inscription is basically Caesar telling, and we don't know what Caesar was. It doesn't name the Caesar, but it's basically Caesar telling uh, everyone in Nazareth that if you go into a tomb and you take bodies out of the tomb, you're going to be in big trouble. That's what he's telling people in this inscription. Are you familiar with, we, Rob and I have not talked about this at all. Rob, are you familiar with the Nazareth inscription? No, I've never really studied it. Okay. So, uh, there's mixed reviews on this. There's mixed reviews on what the dating of this was. Now, some of the, a lot of the Christians want to date it to like anywhere between 40 BCE and to 40 uh, CE. Okay. So right around the time of Yeshua. And they want to do that because, I mean, they have ulterior motives for sure, but basically they're trying to say that this in some ways uh, reflects back on Yeshua. You know, if it was done in 40, it's after his, it's after his, uh, his death. And basically Caesar is saying this guy's tomb was robbed. And so I'm going to go to his hometown and I'm going to make this decree that, you know, uh, that, uh, no one's allowed to rob graves. Okay. There's other, uh, opinions that it might be as late as 135 CE. Now here's what, here's why I think that this is interesting Let's pretend for just a second that it actually dates to the first century. Let's say that it dates to, say, 40 CE, or even before Yeshua's death, okay? Let's, uh, let's, let's pretend that it's in there. Caesar put this in stone, in, in marble, in Nazareth, knowing that everyone would be able to read it. He didn't assume that, oh, these stupid Jews, they only speak Aramaic and Hebrew, they don't know any. They don't know any Greek, so I'm gonna have to put it in, in Aramaic or Hebrew. No, they didn't do that. He didn't do that. He put it in Greek, and he assumed that everyone in Nazareth, even if you date it to 135, by that by 135, everyone speaking Greek in Nazareth, but they weren't in in 30. 
They weren't 100 years earlier. You know, Greek became, Koine Greek became the, the lingua franca of the uh, ancient Near East back in, in uh, like 325 with Alexander the Great. Uh, so to me, and, uh, you know, Rob and I have talked countless times about uh, the, the different places within the apostolic scriptures where we, can, where we know for a fact that Yeshua was speaking Greek. If he wasn't speaking Greek, it doesn't make any sense. And so we and he spoke Greek with Nicodemus. Anyway, that's my rabbit trail. What'd you think, Rob? <laughs> good, good, good show, Mike. Good show. <laughs> I don't know. Good rabbit trail. Uh, that sounds good. I mean, sounds what do you, what do you think? I what, uh, I think that yeah, I think that people. I think Greek gets a bad rap. I think people think that Greek is somehow anti-Torah or somehow Greek. Like, it's not as holy as Hebrew. Like you can't. I actually had. There was one Messianic rabbi who, who told me that he was because he observes the oral law, and he's he's obligated to the Talmud, that he is forbidden to study Greek and learn Greek and, or teach Greek. Therefore, he has to. That's why he uses the Aramaic uh, New Testament because he believes not all. Well, he believes that's the original. But he believes Greek language is a is corrupt and it's anti. Uh, you know, the sages of Israel have forbidden it, and so he can't study it. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is just insane. This is insanity. Um, our, our chat room right now is talking about Jeff Benner. Look, here's the problem. And and uh, someone says Jeff Benner thinks we should translate the New Testament back into Hebrew. That's the problem with thinking that the New Testament was originally written in Hebrew or Aramaic. Is that? Uh, is that you don't really have a, an accurate translation in the Greek then. Our translation, the, the quote translation that we would have of the Greek uh, apostolic scriptures is faulty because somebody can say, oh, well, he uses this Greek word here, but it really was a Hebrew word, and then they're going to choose what Hebrew word fits their thesis, and they're going to say it was this Hebrew word, and so this Hebrew word actually... And, then the, and the Paleo-Hebrew for yeah, that exactly. word... Is the is an ox and a house <laughs> and a uh, a stick, and therefore what Yeshua meant is that we should take a stick into the house. Yeah, and, well, you know that's just like uh, your opinion, man. I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. <laughs> uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's it's total nonsense. Uh, and you know what? We do have, well, there's like, I think, five different translations of the apostolic writings into Hebrew. We've You've got at least three that I can think of off the top of my head is, you know, Dalich, which went through different recensions. So there's multiple different Daliches. That, that was in the 1800s. Salkinson was in the early 1900s. And then you have your modern Hebrew New Testament, which is done in the 90s. We, you know, so there's plenty of translations, you know, that have been done. All of them have their limits, have their strengths and their limitations. And if, you know, if someone wa- wants to fund a new translation into modern Hebrew, that's fine too. It also will have strengths and weaknesses, just like and what we need is good scholarship. We need, we need, uh, in, in modern Hebrew to reach secular Israelis. You know, we need to have one Torah. You know, explanations and teachings 
in clear modern Hebrew so that people in Israel can read it and understand it, uh, not because Hebrew is the, the, quote, sacred tongue, but because it's just another language that needs to have things explained and, and help differentiate the clear signal of the truth of the Word of God from all the noise and traditions that have clouded it up. No doubt. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's one of the problems with the Messianic movement, though, is that the is that the people are snubbing their nose at at uh, scholarship. You know, nobody wants nobody. Everybody thinks that feeling is more important. It's just, just real quick that people are talking about the Septuagint. You know, in the earliest rabbinic text, there's. The Greek Torah is acceptable. You can. There's nothing wrong with the Torah written in Greek. The rabbis are okay with that. It's not until the Talmud. It's a couple hundred years later. You have that, to know that because the Qumranis had had the Torah in Greek. Sure. Well, and there were Jews all over the world reading the Torah in Greek on Shabbats. The rabbis can't. If the rabbi said all you guys are illegit, that I mean, that's not. <laughs> there's no way to for them to advertise their own authority that way. Um, and so, it's only later that, you know. By the, probably by the almost to the rise of Islam, you know, in the 600s, 700s, 800s, in the late 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 antiquity, where you start having the the rabbis talk about how the Greek Torah is a is worse than the golden calf. Oops, sorry. Um, I'm very interested in what in this last comment that somebody made on the forum, and she says Masoretic removed the Hebrew word for hundred numerous times. What does that mean? I'm looking back at the... I don't know. I'm looking back... I think it's, they're just talking about the difference between Septuagint and Masoretic text. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to but the, be... But the Masoretes uh, didn't, didn't remove anything. They didn't talked rem- about there. The, Ma- the, Maser- the Masoretes didn't remove words from the Torah. Not from the Torah. The only time... I mean, you have, you have the times, Tekken uh, Sefrim or whatever... Um, but you don't have, you know, you have things where they noted a change. There's like 12 of them. Um, but they didn't take, but even then they, we have have different generations of scribes and it's hard to know which layer, which thing happened. But the, what Caleb's talking about is true. It's like the, the Masoretic tradition that we, that emerges and is fully written out by the middle ages is Keeping keeping pretty tight um, records of what it knows, you know, of what they knew about which words they had been altered, which phrases had been altered, um, how to read ver- uh, words that look diff- have difficult spellings, you know, and they're offering those kinds of things. Well, hang so on, just think, a second. It happened hang earlier. There were things earlier that happened. So she's uh, she says uh, Masoretic removed Hebrew word for hundred numerous times. A tale of seven cities. Masoretic took out the Girgashites four to five times. That means that if you compare the chronology, I'm sorry, this is interesting to me. Uh, that means that if you you compare the chron- chronologies in Genesis five, you will notice differences in the ages. If you compare Josephus. Pre-change, uh, pre-changes and after you will see different different chronologies. Are you suggesting? That, okay, wait, hang on, just a sec. Are you suggesting that the Masoretes took out something? Took out something from the chronologies in Genesis, compared to what? Compared to the Septuagint, or compared to 
Josephus? I would take the Torah over Josephus anytime. First of all. And second of all, I I would I don't see any evidence for that whatsoever. I don't see any evidence for the Masoretes taking out uh taking out names uh from from the Torah. The, I, I mean, do, have you ever heard of that, Rob? I've I've never I've never read uh the, the different, you know, I've never really paid attention to that, to the chronologies in Genesis uh, in terms of between the Septuagint and the Masoretic. So I can't, can't speak to that. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I mean, if anything, the Septuagint is what is what uh, is, if anything, the Septuagint is what added. I wouldn't think that the Masoretes would, would take away. If anything, the Septuagint would add. And not only that, but it would make sense to me that, that Josephus would be reading the Septuagint. Right? Yeah, I, I would say that he's reading some sort of Greek text, although he wants to say that he wrote it. Yeah, Josephus is a, has its own textual history difficulties. Yeah, I, I have problems with Josephus anyway. Anyway, okay, so let's, this, has been, uh, this has been your rabbit trail from the Robin Caleb show. <laughs> We need a rabbit trail theme song. Oh man, somebody get on it! Somebody send us a rabbit trail theme song. That would be good. Um, okay. Um, so the, I want to get back to tongues here for a few seconds, uh, and I guess we've hit an hour, so we've we've done our due diligence. So the, the basic deal is this, right? Let me recap. Recap for us. I'll recap without wreaking havoc. To to point out that the main argument is this, and. At Shavuot, right after the resurrection, that there was this a gift of the Holy Spirit that resulted in people from all over the world who are in Jerusalem. Most of them seem to be Israelites, are hearing the gospel in their own language. In other words, you have you have Jews from all over the world who are not whose first language is not. Um, Temple Hebrew or even Aramaic, but they're hearing it in their own language. And so that those are known languages of the world that is being referred to when they're speaking in tongues. Then you have like in Acts 10, where Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit at the preaching of Peter, and it says that they spoke in tongues. And then I think later in Acts, there's people who speak in tongues when Paul is preaching. And then Paul writes in Corinthians about speaking in tongues. So some people say that that those are different. These later speaking in tongues are unknown languages. They're not human languages. And that they're to be differentiated from the speaking in tongues of Acts chapter 2. And what I'm here, and, and I think the, the paper that you cited, Caleb, I think that's his position, is that Acts 2 was speaking in tongues, was known languages, and people understood the gospel in their own language miraculously, and that later people are receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, but it's in a private situation, and they're praising God, and that it's some sort of ecstatic speech, that it's not a human language. But what I hear you saying, Caleb, is that you disagree with that position, and you say that it's always known languages, it's just whether or not what the issue is later is whether or not there was an interpreter 
to help the other people who didn't know that language. And that's the point. Okay. Is that, is that, Here, can yes. I paint that? Yes, but, but here's, here's my end-all, be-all point in the whole matter, okay? You have this huge exhortation by Paul in 1 Corinthians, chapters 12 through 14. It's two chapters long. Now, remember, there's no chapter markers within the, within the text when, when Paul's writing this letter. It's just a letter. So the whole thing, the whole thing is one corpus of the whole cha- the whole book is one corpus of of literature towards a you know it's a it's a letter. So he goes through this whole uh, this whole thing about speaking in tongues, okay? And people take that however they want to take that. But you have you have these people who say, okay, well, what he's talking about there is this language that's only between me and God. It's only between me and God. It's just, I can't understand it, but it's this beautiful thing. The Spirit comes into me, and it's this language between me and God. It's very personal, all these kind of things. Okay, if that's the case, you still have to listen to what Paul says. Paul, at the end of all this, at the end of his exhortation about tongues, he gives us rules for it. And this is what gets glossed over all the time. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 12, he says, So also, you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. If you have a language, and that word church is assembly, but if you have a language that's just between you and God, that doesn't edify anyone else except for you. Okay, it doesn't edify the church. That edifies you, not anybody else. In fact, if I'm visiting your church and you're speaking gibberish next to me, it's not only going to make me uncomfortable, but I'm going to think, you know, I know what's going on, but I'm still, it's not going to make me think that I'm being edified. I'm going to leave. I'm going to get up and I'm going to leave. That's not edifying the body. Okay. Paul goes on. He says, therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is uh, unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless uh, in the spirit only, how will the one... Okay, blah, blah, blah. Let me keep going. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, Your point is about edification is really important, I think. Well, it's not just about edification. He specifically says if you're going to speak in tongues, there has to be two or three. uh, There has to be uh, two or three people speaking in tongues. Okay, the the Pentecostals got that. So they got people all over the place speaking in tongues in their services. But there has to be someone interpreting. Someone has to interpret what you are saying. Now, I have been to many Pentecostal services in my life. At the age of 16, I started attending a uh, Assemblies of God church here in town. I went to their youth group for almost two years. They spoke in tongues at every single service. Now, did they try to tell you you needed to? or They did not force me to do any such thing or try to uh, pressure me to do any such thing. But the point is this. In all of the two years that I was there, I've also been to, you know, I, the Vineyard is a very, 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 like, ultra-Pentecostal church uh, and, and uh, denomination within Pentecostalism. And uh, I've been to the Vineyard services before, which honestly was more scary than anything. I ended up leaving the service early because it was very weird to me. Uh, that's not edifying to the body either. In all of these services that I've been to where people have been speaking in tongues, guess what? I've never seen one time. Not one time when there's been an interpreter. 
Paul how do we know? How do we know that it's glorifying God? How how do we? T- how can you test a spirit when it when the Scripture says test the spirits? Well, number one, in my how can you do? How can you do that if we don't know what it says? How, without an interpreter, how do we know what's being uttered? Oh, and that's the point. That is it, the point. Is that it, yeah? Exactly, Rob. It's like what. <laughs> And it's it seems like it's not it's like what fruit is there? If what I love, is the what I, is the fruit? I love it how all you know. There's so many people who who pound the pulpit on all this different stuff in the Pentecostal church. Oh, you know, you, 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 the Bible says to do this. The Bible says to do that. You know, but then when it comes to speaking in tongues, we have clear instruction. Clear instruction. On how this is supposed to be done. Two or three people have to be speaking in tongues, and there has to be an interpreter, and they have to go in turn. They can't. Know our friend, our friend Michael, uh, Doctor Michael Brown, um, is part of what we would call the gen- generally the Pentecostal movement. Correct? Yes. Um, now I've not read. I know he's written some books on this issue, and um, will defend some sort of interpretation that that assumes that speaking in a non-human tongue is indeed a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so it's not as if we could say, it's not like people who believe in speaking in tongues aren't Bible scholars, you know. It means they they actually don't read the Bible. Um, I mean, Dr. Brown has done wonderful things in, in realms of scholarship that the body of Messiah has benefited from. So, because part of me thinks, you know, how many people out there who are quote speak, you know, pro speaking in, in tongues in a Pentecostal way really know their Bibles. But I, you know, I, it's not that simple. To, to I me, can't explain it. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, like Dr. Brown's experience is or what. Uh, okay, but, but, but Rob, here's the, here's the main issue, is that the Bible tells us exactly, uh, it tells us specific things about speaking in tongues. Whether you believe it's gibberish or not, or you believe it's a, a real language, if you believe it's gibberish, there's still rules to it. Paul says that it has, right, it has right. to be in turn. And your point is well taken. Paul it, gives specific, because otherwise, why is Paul doing that? Because he can see it just go into chaos. He like it is. What's that? Like it is in the in the Pentecostal church. It's chaos. Yeah, yeah. It goes into chaos. And that then he realizes that, wow, we gotta we gotta rein this in because this is leading it, it's making an, a mess. It, there's no order, right? Um you know, look. Here's the here's my end point on this whole on this whole speaking in tongues thing. If you believe that you uh, speak a secret language between you and God, even if you don't know what it, what's being said, okay, okay, that's that's between you and God. But you have to realize that the scripture t- tells us uh, specifically how to deal with tongues. And therefore, if you're going to speak in a tongue between you and God, that edifies you, and you're not going to go by the rules of having a translator. And going in turn and having it translated in turn and edifying the body, then keep it at home. Keep it in your prayer closet between you and God. Don't bring it to the church. Don't bring it to the assembly. Don't bring it to your congregation. Because the scripture clearly shows us that that, that's not how it's supposed to be done. 
I'm not going to sit here and bash people for saying that they have some some language between God and themselves. Okay, that's up to you. That's up to you and and God and what you think. But, uh, you know, let's look at the scripture. The scripture tells us specific things about how to do this, whether it's a real language or it's a gibberish language. And every Pentecostal church I've ever been to doesn't follow those rules. I understand. It's not even a Torah debate. It's not even like these rules are in the Torah. Oh, that's done away with. No. The Christian church says, oh, yeah, whatever's in the New Testament, we should keep it. It's in the New Testament. It's right there. It's in 1 Corinthians 14. But the Pentecostals don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to have anything to do with the rules of how to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, that's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> um, anything else, Rob? I don't know. I, I think that we, we want uh, understanding is critical. God cares that we hear his word and that we understand it and that we bear, fr- bear fruit. I'm thinking in, in Matthew 13, Yeshua, the parable of the sower. Right, the ones that get, bear the good fruit are those who, who hear the word and understand it, and bears fruit. Um, and that's that's what God cares about. I think if there's, I think if people have some sort of prayer language that they use, it it's totally foreign to me in in my culture. You know, in the culture I grew up in. Um, and it seems to me with the weight of all the scripture that it looks like it could be more of a, of a distraction and that it's that the problems, there's just enough problems to make it suspicious, such as how do we, if there's no, you know, it needs an interpretation. Otherwise there's no edification and there's no way to test it if there's no interpreter. So those kind of things to me just, Say, hey, I think it's something that that we need to be, you know, suspicious of. And this idea that that we would say, well, if you haven't spoke, if you haven't uttered uh, heavenly tongues or something, then then how can you be sure? Then you should question whether or not you've actually received the Holy Spirit. That's that doesn't seem to be in line with the weight of Scripture. The weight of Scripture is that God gives you his spirit and you repent and desire to walk in his commandments, right? You desire to, to do it his way, to live, live his way, to be holy and to, that the expression of your now, you know, your new life in the Shema, loving God with all your heart spills over into your relationships with, with others. Um, first and foremost, that's, those are my thoughts. You know, the, the, something that comes to me is this. You know, I say that there's nothing wrong with, you know, or it's between you and God if you have a, a spiritual language. I'm not going to bash that. But here's the one thing that I would bring up. You know what? If, you're, if, if something that you're doing that you say is from God is actually making you do things that are clearly against Scripture, then I, can't, then I would have to say it's not from God, Right. I agree. Okay, agree. so so if you're going into the community and there's more than two or three people uh, speaking in tongues at one time, and there's no interpreter, and people aren't going in tongue in in uh, in order, taking turns, going in turn, like 
Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians 14, that's going against the word of God. So although you might say, oh, it's from God, it's this beautiful, beautiful thing between me and God, it's not from God if you're going against what Scripture says. That's the proof that it's not from God if you're going against what Scripture says. So wait your turn and get an interpreter. Otherwise, it's not from God. That's what I would say. Um, I don't know. Maybe. What? Do you, yes. No. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, I guess that's all we have, right? Uh, let's let's cue cue end music and uh, thanks everybody for the uh, for the good chat in the in the uh, chat room today. Uh, if you would like to be a part of that chat room, you can find it. Go to trradio.com, find the uh, broadcast tab, go down to the Robin Caleb Show page, and there it all is. You can sign up for our newsletter and all sorts of stuff. The other thing you can do is uh, you can uh, get our show notes, all sorts of stuff. Hey, if you haven't already, or if you don't already, please uh, remember every once in a while to pray for Rob and me. And uh, our families, uh, we need it just as much as everybody else. And uh, we're just trying to basically come to you guys and honor our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>